What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And we're back! Hey, I told you I'd load some shit into the soundboard when we got this podcast on and popping. And here we are, episode two, man. That means we're keeping this thing going. And so far, I'm sticking with uh, making this shit weekly like I planned on. Um, If you missed last week's episode, I kicked this thing off just so that we could talk about some movie news that's accumulated throughout the week. I'm going to try and make this a weekly podcast going to cover movie news stories that I find interesting throughout the week and then just talk about the shit I've watched this past week or you know whenever the last time I got a chance to drop the podcast was which of course this time actually was a week ago I'm uh, pretty you know I'm doing pretty fucking good about it so far so hopefully I continue doing that and uh let's kick this off with uh, some news stories the main one of course I want to lead off with the Supergirl news obviously I already covered this in a video on the channel but wanted to cover it here on the podcast as well. Could not touch on it here. Big news for the DCU. Supergirl has been cast. And we might have an update on the movie uh, being fast-tracked into fucking production as well. They're looking for a director here. I got a couple articles here uh, regarding that. So uh, let's dive in on this shit. All right, and leading it off with that news, Millie Alcock was the one that was cast as Carol Zorio, going to be Supergirl and James Gunn's DCU. If you haven't heard the news already, like I said, put out a video on this on the channel. If you're listening to this on the audio side, be sure to subscribe to JC's Pop Culture on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube checking out the podcast, hey, I did and was successful in uploading it to some other platforms. Told you in episode one, we were on you know Spotify and YouTube right now. Since then, we're up on uh, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, to name a couple uh, got a few more can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, Apple's the one I'm working on. Just waiting to hear back from them. Should have it up there hopefully by episode three. But uh, yeah, man, uh, Supergirl has been cast now since the last time. Uh, Millie Alcock was one of the finalists with Amelia Jones and Meg Donnelly. Millie Alcock lands the role. Uh, you may know her from House of the Dragon. Uh, James Gunn said that's where he first saw her, but she blew him away in the screen test, really. Um, Alcock tested with alongside Meg Donnelly, who I uh, talked about in a previous update on the channel as well. Character is expected to appear in a DC Studios project or two before her solo adventure, but it's unclear if that project will be Gun Superman Legacy. This is just me talking now, purely speculation. I think that it will be Superman Legacy personally, uh, which begins filming this spring or another DC movie or show. But this was the interesting part, and this is why I chose this uh, Hollywood Reporter article to uh, share, is because this last little bit was interesting that it came out of. Uh, since then, it seems like Supergirl might be, you know, fast track. That's what I was talking about earlier when I mentioned that. Because here uh, from THR, the Hollywood Reporter, Supergirl is moving like a speeding locomotive, and it's possible the feature could be shooting in the fall if Warner soon finds a director. Anna Naguera is pinning the script. As far as that director shit is concerned, I do have a bit of an update on that as well here from this comicbook.com article potentially. As you see, they share Woman of Tomorrow director search. Search? Fucking damn it, I can't talk. Uh, director search gets a major update. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow is moving forward, full steam ahead now, and the production has its Kara Zor-El. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Just talked about Millie Alcock being casted. I already know that. And they're referencing the THR report right there that I just talked about. Now, according to a new Variety report, though, this is the interesting part in the new stuff. DC Studios is looking to land a filmmaker in the coming weeks to direct a script being penned by Anna Naguera. Since the casting was first announced, Gunn has revealed Alcock was his first choice for the role. Having seen her performance in House of the Dragon shortly after he and Peter Safran decided to start developing a Supergirl film. In case you missed this exciting news yesterday, Stranger Millie was the first person I brought up to Peter for this role well over a year ago when I'd only read the comics. So that's pretty fucking awesome. While I was watching House of the Dragon, thought she might have the edge, grace, and authenticity we needed for the DC Supergirl. And now here we are. Life is wild sometimes. 
So that's pretty sweet that she was the first choice from the jump and ends up uh, casting her as Supergirl. But the main news that comes out for me is they're looking to land a filmmaker in the coming weeks. I think that that just further tells Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, is going to be fast-tracked, guys. It's going to be, I don't know if it'll be the second right after Superman Legacy, but I would not be surprised if it is the next film coming out after Superman Legacy for the DCU. It's going to be up there really quickly if they're looking to you know land a filmmaker soon. I'd say they're probably looking to film in the fall or something like that then. So uh, more updates on Supergirl and the DCU and shit head over to jc's pop culture on youtube subscribe to us there putting out update videos as news is released and shit but that's what i got as far as dcu is concerned but i do have some dc adjacent news to talk about with these next two news stories the first of which here is kind of more speculative and like what if type shit but being the huge small veil fan that i am small veil small veil fan that i am um, you know, it's one of my all-time favorite TV shows for sure. You'd be in the fucking Superman fan. I am. It's got to be right. Uh, but this was cool because this just came out this past week. I don't think it'll ever happen, but hey, you never know. Never say never, right? Tom Welling says he's down to play Clark Kent for a possible Smallville movie, uh, which was pretty cool. This just came out this past week. And this is coming from uh, Tom Welling's appearance on Michael Rosenbaum's Inside of You podcast, which is a great podcast. If you never listened to it, check that shit out for sure. But as you see, almost 13 years after Smallville concluded in 2011, Welling spoke with his co-star Michael Rosenbaum, who portrayed Lex Luthor, the fucking best on-screen portrayal we've ever got of Lex Luthor still, in my opinion, to celebrate the 300th episode of the Inside of You podcast. Rosenbaum said he had to pick his Superman as a guest for the podcast milestone episode as he was also the first guest during the first episode. Speaking about their careers and personal lives, the two also talked about the possible Smallville movie, which Welling is interested in. However, the actor revealed that he never received a call from anyone involved in Smallville for new projects. And here's the quote here in regards to wanting to continue the shit. Uh, they also, uh, if you guys don't know Michael Rosenbaum and uh, Tom Welling do a podcast where they're doing the rewatch of Smallville. It's one of the rewatch podcasts I haven't got a chance to jump into yet. But, man, I fucking love the rewatch podcast. There's a lot of them for, like, shows, if there's shows that you like that are doing that shit. I know there's one for uh, It's Always Sunny. I'm pretty much all caught up on that one. The Boy Meets World shit, uh, Pod Meets World, that's awesome. They're doing a rewatch of it, and there, there's plenty of them. But the Talkville one is a rewatch of Smallville I got to get into. But, uh Tom Welling, uh, in his regards to a Smallville movie, he says, of course, I mean, listen, I was thinking about this the other day, right before we did our Talkville podcast. We were on one of the most successful shows in the history of television, like top 50. From that show, I've never gotten an incoming call from anyone involved in that show for further work. I'm not saying, like, I don't feel bad about that. I don't harp on anybody about that. But you would think that when you're successful, you'd continue to be successful with successful people. But I think the times have changed. So shit, I guess the major takeaway there is fucking someone give uh, Tom Welling a call. He's open to doing something. I mean, it might not be a movie. We might not get, you know, a movie continuation. But if we could get some type of continuation, and I know before people jump in the comments and shit and talk about the season 11, Smallville and shit, I know all that. But I'm saying if we get a live action continuation that we never really got, whether it's, you know, years later, and I know we got the little cameo in the, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths of the CW-verse, and that shit was pretty cool just to see him come back for that. But I think even that goes to show you that he's serious. He would do something. So, hey, you know, we'll see what happens. I know uh, the creators got something, a film coming in the works this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Millar and uh, Goff. Uh, I can't remember what that movie is, but I, I heard some news about that. Maybe I'll cover that in episode three if I can uh, look into it in time and shit. But, yeah, I mean, I'd obviously be up for this. I think Smallville fans will be hype as shit. So, you know, someone give Tom Welling a call. Let's see if we can't get something cooking, whether it's, you know, a limited series of, you know, a short film or anything. I'd be down for whatever. But wanted to update that. But then 
that's not the only Superman that's in the news. And it's not a what if scenario for this, you know, former Superman that, you know, posthumously now is going to have this docu documentary come out about his life. Uh, this film is happening. And not only is it happening, it's been acquired by a big studio. Check this shit out. All right, and it's Christopher Reeve's documentary, Super Slash Man, uh, the story of Christopher Reeve. I hadn't heard about this, guys, but it seems like it's doing awesome since its Sundance premiere. Uh, Warner Brothers is acquiring the rights. Roughly $15 million they're paying for this shit, which has been getting rave reviews, and I can't wait to watch this. Uh, awesome news that this is uh, coming out, guys. But um, as you scroll through here, this, like I said, this is on Variety. Super Slash Man, a documentary about the life of Christopher Reeve, is finalizing a deal to sell to Warner Brothers slash Discovery following its buzzy Sundance Film Festival premiere. It's an interesting home for the documentary because Reeve experienced his greatest commercial success playing the Man of Steel in the first four Superman movies, which Warner Brothers produced. James Gunn, the co-head of Warner Brothers, owned DC Studios, is currently reviving the character in the upcoming Superman Legacy, which he will write and direct. It's unclear how the deal will be structured, but sources say that it could include some kind of distribution under the DC Studios banner, as well as involve some kind of showing on CNN, which Warner Brothers Discovery also owns. It would also involve showings on Max, the company's streaming services. The shell has not changed. The shell, the fucking sale has not closed, so it's possible it could collapse at the 11th hour, but the negotiations are exclusive. I hope it doesn't collapse. I want to see this, and if I can see it on Max, that's even better. That's one of my favorite streaming services, and one that I have, so hell yeah. Put it up on Max. Let me watch it because I'm all for a story about Christopher Reeve's life. And it's awesome. They got this coming and it's getting good reviews at Sundance. So pretty sweet. Christopher Reeve documentary, Super Slash Man, uh, coming at some point and hopefully uh, coming from Warner Brothers, maybe even on Max. So that's some good news involving a studio. Now as we move away from some DC shit and into some other just regular movie news, I got a few stories we'll cover here before we get into some shit I watched and then wrap up JC's Pop Culture Pod on episode two. Um, this right here is interesting, and I didn't even know about this shit when I did my trailer reaction for the Roadhouse trailer on the channel. Um, you know, mixed feelings about it. I think a lot of people will have it, but, you know, director Doug Lyman is at odds with Amazon because they're sending Roadhouse straight to streaming. It's coming out, what is it, March 21st, I think. Let me check the calendar real quick. Yeah, 21st on, on prom. And uh, basically, he's fucking pissed because he feels like this should be a theatrical release. And, you know, because of that, he's boycotting the premiere at South by Southwest, which is, you know, that first week in March. And so just interesting story here. This is from The Hollywood Reporter, but you can find, you know, multiple articles covering this shit. Uh, Doug Lyman will not be taking a trip to Austin in March for the premiere of his feature Roadhouse, the Amazon MGM remake of the 89 Patrick Swayze feature that stars Jake Gyllenhaal. The filmmaker is boycotting the premiere in protest of studio Amazon MGM declining to give the film a theatrical release as it has done for features such as Ben Affleck's Air. He revealed the news in a column published on Deadline with his comments coming at a rather inopportune time for the marketing campaign for the film. Amazon plans to release the trailer Wednesday. Like I said, and before I saw the trailer i didn't even know about this shit i found out about it afterwards uh but it's crazy like and that's one of the first things that came to my mind without even knowing that it had come out beforehand was just the fact that he did all this shit and you know even if you do feel this way and i understand if he feels like the film is warranted for that shit i'm gonna pull up the deadline article so you guys can hear his comments because uh for for me, it's a little bit outlandish because based on the trailer, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong. This movie could be fucking amazing guys, but based on the trailer, it didn't necessarily blow me away or anything. Uh, but let me see if I can find his comments here because he is certainly feeling, uh, 
like it's going to be a very special movie. Okay, so this is all his words here. This article, like I said, it's his little column from Deadline. I'm going to just pick out some of the points that I thought were pretty interesting. My plan had been to silently protest Amazon's decision to stream a movie so clearly made for the big screen. But as Amazon is hurting way more than me and just my film, if I don't speak up about Amazon, who will? So here we go. Um, you know, tells a bit of a story. Uh, the facts. I signed up to make a theatrical motion picture for MGM. Amazon bought MGM. Amazon said, make a great film and we'll see what happens. I made a great film. We made Roadhouse a smash hit. Amazon words, not mine. Roadhouse tested higher than my biggest box office hit, Mr. and, Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It tested higher than The Born Identity, which spawned four sequels. I've told the press response has been Amazon's best since they bought MGM. Roadhouse has a strong tie-in to the UFC, which has a rabid and loyal fan base that spawned over 1.5 billion social media impressions. Uh, the action is groundbreaking. I don't know about that. The action looked, I mean, it didn't look bad in the trailer, but, you know, we'll see. Jake Gyllenhaal, yes, he's, you know, got that Southpaw look going and shit. Looks like he fucking put in the work and he's going to make an awesome performance. Audiences want to see Conor McGregor take his swing at Jake on the big screen. That's what I'm talking. That's where I'm saying I don't know if I agree with some of his comments. Because if you watch the trailer, man, Conor McGregor's not an actor. And, you know, that kind of just comes across at times. And maybe he's banking on people wanting to see him be a villain. And maybe, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal rip his fucking throat out at the end of the movie or something. I don't know. But really, he goes on. He goes even further and even further into hyperbole here. If you look, um, let me see. Uh, where Where is it? Because I'm pretty sure that he said some shit about. Um, I can't find it. But I mean, I'm pretty sure that he said something about that. It would have uh, the audiences dancing in the uh, aisles at the end of the movie or something like that. But and, and here's the thing. I want to, you know, preface this by saying I don't disagree with his sentiment that he's saying here that about the movie going to theaters. And I'm 100 percent a big proponent of movies going to theaters versus uh, streaming and shit. So don't don't get it twisted there. I 100 percent agree with what he's saying here in a lot of this statement and the point that he's trying to get across 100 percent. But also, I mean, sometimes, you know, a company, they're only going to put so many films up theatrically. And if they comparing this to some other film and they feel like, you know, this one's not that good, you know, some, somebody's got to bite the bullet at some point. And then sometimes it sucks. It has to be you, you know, that's just the world we live in now. And I agree with, you know, Doug Lyman here that it does suck. I wish the shit wasn't that way. I, I miss getting to go to the theaters and just see, you know, a action movie, simple plot, good guy versus bad guy. Seems like all of those go straight to streaming, you know, good comedy seems like all of those go straight to streaming. So I understand the argument and shit, but I think for me, it's more like, let's wait and see the movie. And then, you know, maybe let other people make the argument for you. Why wasn't this movie released in theaters? Because then you could come back and maybe release this after the fact. And you put all this out and it looks like, you know, yeah, I felt the same way instead of now, you know, you're hurting the marketing of the film and shit and, you know, could hurt some of the numbers that would have gone, you know, to prove your point of why it would have been good in theaters. So to me, it's just the fucking timing that's way off and you know, a little bit of the hyperbole he's using, which could up being true. It could be end up being the fucking best movie of the year. Who knows? But I'm just saying, uh, I would have waited if I was a uh, Doug Lyman, but I understand where he's coming from. But that certainly was a story I had to touch on here. Uh, the roadhouse beef between uh, Doug Lyman and Amazon since the movie's going to, uh, to streaming and it will be on prime video March 21st. If you haven't seen the trailer, check it out on JC's pop culture on YouTube. I did a reaction for it there. All right. And then next up, this just popped up on my radar. I had no idea about this shit. Uh, this from bloody disgusting, but four posters just released for it. And when I saw, you know, the two names that are listed as, you know, kind of the featured cast members, which are Micah Monroe, which we all know from, you know, it follows. And then Nicholas cage, who of course, obviously that's selling point alone. 
the film is called Long Legs, but it's also directed by Osgood Perkins, which is the son of Anthony Perkins. Yes, fucking Anthony Perkins from Psycho. So, you know, just badass cast, badass crew sounds like, and, uh, you know, a Nicolas Cage serial killer movie. I'm all for it. And uh, they say that these posters are getting us closer to the trailer. I hope we get that trailer soon. If we do, I'll probably do a trailer reaction for it here on the channel. But I just wanted to, you know, let people know this movie was, is coming because I had no idea this movie was coming. It's called Long Legs, uh, if you want to look up more about it. Uh, but Neon's mysterious marketing campaign for upcoming Long Legs has easily been the best horror movie marketing of 2024 thus far. And this week, they're ramping it up even further. And they did that with these four posters. Posters debuted on social media outlets, including Letterboxd, ComicBook.com, Rotten Tomatoes, and, of course, Bloody Disgusting, which is where we are right now. Let me pull this up, and then I'll read it to you guys a little bit about the film. You guys will see some of these uh, posters here. You see there, Michael Monroe and Nicolas Cage, Long Legs, written and directed by Osgood Perkins. I believe I said he just directed the shit, but he wrote it, too. Um, so, you know, there's one. It's the other one. I mean, it's fucking intriguing for sure, man. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Just post it up under, you know, a sheet. You got the mysterious lady. That looks like a, a nun. I don't know if she's dead or if she's praying or what the hell's going on there. I don't even know if it is a nun. And then, um, yeah, the one that's uh, really, that's the main one I've seen is this one. It looks seem to be the most intriguing because it's like, it. what is she doing? Is she turned on by this knife? Is she cutting her stomach open? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I should be creeped out or horny. I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's fucking a whole situation. But anyways, and it's just the, it's the cryptic little text that they've dropped with it as well because look at the text for each one of these. This one, Miss Camera, Mother, Father, Priest, Axe, 1975. It was a good day for a good girl to be at school. Like, it's so fucking cryptic. I mean, this shit is definitely the, the marketing campaign. Like I said, they're doing a great job. I, I forgot to read the caption on these other ones. So caption on this one, door to door. There she goes where she stops. Nobody knows except for him. He knows. And then the uh, other one with the sheet, the Horn family, former family of four. Mother got it worst. Father said she needed it most. No signs of forced entry. November 14th, 1992. So it's fucking way different years here. 75 to 92, it looks like spreading across. And this one's 74. The birthday girl, eight years old. Police report, January 13th, 1974. So I don't know details about this except for it's a serial killer. I don't know if Nick Cage is a serial killer or what, but um, we'll find out about this shit. I'm expecting him to be. Let's see if we got a synopsis here that lets us know. The upcoming serial horror movie marks the return of director Osgood Perkins uh, from The Black Coats of Daughter and Gretel and Hansel. Nicolas Cage stars alongside Micah Monroe, with Monroe playing an FBI agent and Cage playing the serial killer. Oh, hell yeah. I'm all over this shit, guys. Long Leg is said to be in the vein of classic Hollywood psychological thrillers. In the film, FBI agent Lee Harker, played by Monroe, is gifted a new recruit assigned to the unsolved case of an elusive serial killer uh, played by Nick Cage. As the case takes complex turns, unearthing evidence of the occult, Harker discovers a personal connection to the merciless killer and must race against time to stop him before he claims the lives of another innocent family. Oh, hell yeah, dude. That shit's going to be awesome. I'm uh, excited for this. Producers are Nick Cage alongside his production company, Saturn Films. They got a release date on this shit yet? Um, nah. Uh, nope. So, uh, hopefully when the trailer drops, we'll get some shit, but I uh, know it's coming 2024, uh, and it's something that's got me interesting. So, uh, long legs guys, keep a lookout for that. And then while we're in the mode of talking about horror shit, uh, may as well talk about this that came out Dwight little. I know a lot of people have probably already heard about this, but 
Dwight Little talking, you know, an interview on Bloody Disgusting, talked about, you know, and was asked a little bit about Halloween 4, you know, Halloween where it's moving now with, you know, the new pitches and shit like that. So uh, here's uh, what I thought was very interesting that came out of this. Just these two, couple quotes right here. You know, him and Alan McElroy wrote Halloween 4, which, you know, in my opinion, you know, someday I'll probably do a Halloween ranking on the YouTube channel, JC's Pop Culture. But, you know, it's probably one of the most underrated Halloween fan or Halloween films to me. It's up very high in my ranking and shit. So uh, this news excites me. And it's also something that I've talked about. You know, where are you going to go from Halloween from here? I know they're talking about potentially a TV series and we'll see what comes of that. But when you're talking movies, really, I don't think anyone wants the shit to be rebooted again. So uh, what can you really do? You can pretty much pick up after Resurrection, in my opinion, or, you know, you can pick up a spot in the franchise like they did with, you know, the David Gordon Green, a Danny McBride shit trilogy and all that. Uh, not that I didn't mean to say it's a shit trilogy. It had, you know, a good film or two in there. I, I enjoyed uh, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. I enjoyed Halloween Kills more than most. Uh, Halloween ends, that's a whole fucking different discussion. But I think for the future of the Halloween films, the best thing to do would be, you know, pick up after Resurrection if you want to continue that. Or pick a spot in the franchise. And if you're going to pick a spot in the franchise, why not, you know, pick up after Halloween 4? And that's what uh, not only Dwight Little's talking about doing, but he says he's pitched that shit, a requel to Halloween 4. Listen to this. Considering the greater appreciation for Halloween 4, many fans are clamoring for more Rachel and Jamie, particularly a direct sequel to your film. If that would ever come into the conversation, would you do it? Not only would I do it, I've actually pitched it. You keep Rachel alive and follow through with Jamie and Rachel. Ellie Cornell is alive and well and living on the East Coast. And I just worked with Danielle Harris and she's a doll. I think that's a great movie. I think they should call it Halloween 4 Part 2. Just be upfront about it and say what it is because that's what it would be. In my opinion, more than a TV show, I think that would get a lot of attention. Hell yeah, I do too, man. I'm not against the TV series. If you know if it's interesting enough, I want to see where they go with it. But get back into the film world. And you know they just showed they could do this shit you know, with picking up after Halloween one and, you know, not really confusing the audience. Everyone, you know, bought into those movies. They did great numbers and shit, regardless of how they were viewed critically and shit. They definitely did good numbers, uh, you know, at the box office and shit. So I think doing this would be great. And the way that he said, he not only, I mean, he's already pitched it for one, but the way that he's saying title at Halloween four part two, that gets people right in right away. They know what they're getting into just from the title alone. You don't have to go a whole way and explain to people, you know, where you're at in the franchise and shit. You're just like, Oh, it's picking up after, you know, Halloween four from, you know, back in 88 or whatever it was. And, moving on and that's fucking awesome and i would be all for it especially being the fan of halloween 4 i am but like just another you know piece of speculative what if news i could talk about just on the horror side this time so i want to talk about that and then the final news story another film that i didn't know was happening that i thought was super interesting that we got to talk about here to wrap up movie news then we'll talk about a couple things i watch before we close up episode two here of uh, jc's pop culture pod and that film is SNL 1975. Yes, SNL is in Saturday Night Fucking Live. And it's coming from uh, Jason Reitman and uh, Gil Kennan, the same team that's you know brought Afterlife and is bringing Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. But this shit's really cool, man. SNL 1975, obviously, you know, based on real life shit. And they've cast, you know, Garrett Morris, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, and John Belushi. And there you see uh, the respective actors playing each one of those characters in the movie. And you see, you know, the likenesses can kind of line up. You see with the prosthetics and the makeup, they can definitely uh, make that shit work for sure. I think most of them uh, look pretty true to life. But just the news that this movie is happening is pretty fucking cool and something I'm excited about now uh, moving forward. Um, Lamorne Morris, Dylan O'Brien, Corey Michael Smith, and Matt Wood were the actors that you saw um, 
they're pictured uh, cast in these roles, which will be directed by Jason Reitman and based on the real life behind the scenes accounts of the opening episode of Saturday Night Live. So when Saturday Night Live kick started, just kind of about the creation of it, I think that um, fucking Lauren Michaels is a character in this movie as well. All kinds of shit. Um, the original screenplay is written by Reitman and Gil Keenan. On October 11th, 1975, a ferocious troupe of young comedians and writers changed television forever. SNL 1975 is the true story of what happened behind the scenes that night in the moments leading up to the first broadcast of NBC's SNL. It depicts the chaos and magic of a revolution that almost wasn't, counting down the minutes in real time to the infamous words, live from New York, it's Saturday night. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Reitman has like real interviews and shit from obviously, you know, behind the scenes members of the cast and crew. So this shit's going to be true to life as much much as you know anything that can be portrayed you know dramatically and shit but of course this is coming from deadline but i'm super excited about this shit the screenplay is based on an extensive series of interviews con conducted by reitman and kennan with all the living cast members writers and crew so not only they got the cast member interviews they interviewed the writers they interviewed the crew so everyone that was there that's you know living and able to tell the tale spoke to reitman and kennan and so this shit's going to be you know awesome guys and it's uh, now a new movie that I'm super excited for. I guess it's coming in 2024. Like I said, no release date tied to it yet. But, uh, man, that's pretty awesome, you know, concept that they're going for. So last thing I want to talk about there in movie news was SNL 1975. Now let's get into some shit that I've watched uh, this past week before we get ready to wrap up here on JC's Pop Culture Pod, episode two. All right, what I watched lately. Um, you know, mainly been in some TV series pretty much. Uh kick it off talking about both of those there is one movie that i watched uh nothing new it's an old movie but uh fucking great one I'll talk about it momentarily but let's kick it off with the tv series and continuing you know with the theme of episode one i talked about um american pain and i talked about dope sick which was fucking phenomenal i didn't realize that you know it was a year or two years after dope sick netflix came out with their own series called painkiller pretty much telling the same tale uh made by peter berg and so I had to watch that once I found that out after the fact. Um, and uh, well done as well. I think Dope Sick is more my cup of tea. I think it's, you know, just a little bit better put together and a bit more, I don't, I don't know, it's, I guess it's more subtle in the way that it tells the story and dramatically and a lot of it involves, you know, the real tales, whereas Painkiller was some made up characters and stuff. But I understand where they were coming from with the characters they created, particularly, you know, Taylor Kitsch's character, which... I'm a big fan of, you know, Taylor Kitsch and Peter Berg working together as a huge fan of Friday Night Lights, which is arguably my favorite TV show of all time. It's, you know, top five, top three. I've got a Tim Riggins jersey, a Dylan Panther jersey hanging in the closet in there. Uh, but I thought that his character, you know, I could tell he really put a lot of heart into it. And they said that, you know, he'd been affected by, you know, a lot of people near him affected with this, you know, addiction and shit. So I thought that his performance was really well done. And that story was really well told, but I thought some of the other shit was just a bit too uh, heavy handed, I guess, in some of it. You know, it's just a completely different vibe from, you know, what you come from with Dope Sick, where it's just this kind of dramatic, subtle, laid back tale where this one's, you know, needle drops and, you know, high energy and just kind of in your face a little bit. Not that I don't enjoy it. I thought that it was well done, but I just like the portrayal of uh, Richard Sackler from Dope Sick better, you know. Matthew Broderick did a good job playing the character here on Painkiller, but I think it was just, you know, the way that they directed it and stuff. They had him, you know, a bit more interject. They got him at parties, you know, dancing around and stuff. And it just, that character that Dopesick presented me doesn't seem like anyone that would ever do that. But I understand where they were coming from, making it kind of uh, subversive in that way, really trying to, you know, lay down the themes of 
hey, you know, these people are just partying and having a good time while these other people are, you know, super, you know, going through a lot of suffering, people like Taylor Kitsch's character and stuff like that in this show. So I understand what they were going for with the juxtaposition and stuff. I think just Dope Sick was a little bit more my speed, but Painkiller, I thought, was still really well done. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Um, good show. Good show there. And then uh watched the Peacock series as well that was, you know, based on a documentary that I'd seen before. I'm sure a lot of people remember this documentary, a fucking wild documentary from, uh, you know, a handful of years ago. And so the Peacock series is called A Friend of the Family. And the uh, documentary, I believe it was on Netflix back in 2017, Abducted in Plain Sight. I'm sure you all remember that shit. Uh, Birch told and Broberg. They're both actually named Bob, but the girl that, you know, is the victim in the story, Jan Broberg, it's essentially her story. But the Abducted in Plain Sight documentary was wild because it had, you know, the internet buzz, social media buzz, all that shit when it came out just because of how bombastic the story was to where this girl's, you know, kidnapped not once, but twice, you know, and essentially brainwashed along the way. And not only is she brainwashed, this fucking heinous man, you know, Bob Birch told really is manipulating the entire family. And you learn that throughout that documentary on abducted in plain sight. So you knew once you watched that documentary that eventually something would probably come, you know, retelling that, you know, in, in dramatic fashion. And you get it here with a friend of the family, uh, the TV series, on Peacock, it's a miniseries, nine episodes, created by Nick Antosca, who's a familiar name. He actually, you know, wrote a, or was going to make a Halloween film at one point. That's what I most remember him from, but he's been associated with, you know, a lot of other things, horror-wise, Channel Zero. I know a lot of people know him from that. Uh, the Act, of course, the Gypsy Rose, you know, retelling of that show. I think he did that show uh, that's real popular now that I haven't got a chance to watch, but Jessica Biel, uh, Candy, I believe is, is what it's called. So, you know, well-known name, uh, Nick Antosca, of course, at the Hannibal TV series as well, a big part of uh, writing that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of good names attached to this series. You get Jake Lacey, who I knew from uh, White Lotus on Max. He played kind of a villainous character in that. So, you know, he's getting his turn at playing villains in this. Uh, does a great job of, you know, playing a character that you love to hate. Uh, Colin Hanks, nearly unrecognizable. You see him playing the father there, Bob Broberg, on the far right, you know, really transformed in this role. I thought he did a great job. Anna Paquin is the mother, Mary Ann Broberg. Uh, McKenna Grace, though, steals the show as Jan Broberg. Excellent performance. Great performance by everyone involved in the cast all around, though, really. But I think as far as the series is concerned, you know, if you were super intrigued by the documentary, you'll probably want to check this out just because, you know, to see the dramatic retelling of it. But there are certain things that are obviously added into it for that fact. But I also feel like this series could have been five or six episodes, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that to say I didn't enjoy it, but I'm saying, I guess maybe where you've already watched the documentary, maybe that affected me as well, having kind of knowing some of the shit that was coming throughout the show, uh, even though there were some things that I forgot that it reminded me of. But I felt like, you know, once I hit episode six, ish that there were some episodes that are filmed like we're completely filler we could you know go ahead and add you know one more episode and wrap this thing up so i feel like the series is a bit longer than it needed to be but all in all not bad i'd rank it right there where you know near the painkiller series i put it a little i'd probably give this about a 6.5 i think that it's you know pretty average to above average series with some really good performances but you know it's telling a great tale and then after i watched this i also watched they have a friend of the family uh about hour and a half documentary with the real life Jan Broberg now going back to 
not only some of the real places that these events happen, but also bringing back in some members of her family, the real life Marianne Broberg, her own son, having interviews and stuff. So that's a good continuation as well. If you were a fan of the documentary, you'll not only want to check out this series, but probably check out that documentary also. So those are the two series that I've watched. And then, of course, there is a movie that I've watched. It's an oldie, but a goodie, as they say. Fucking classic uh, Jim Carrey performance, and I'm a huge Jim Carrey fan, and we got to talk about it. And that, of course, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, I'll try and keep all this spoiler-free. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about this movie, but, I mean, it's 20 years old at this point. Guys came out in 2004, so, you know, if you haven't seen it now, you need to. Pause this, I guess, because I might mention spoiler shit throughout pause this go watch it come back and you know finish up the podcast episode if you haven't but really great movie directed by michael gondry written by charlie kaufman michael gondry and pierre bismuth jim carrey kate winslet tom wilkinson mark ruffalo elijah wood fucking phenomenal performances all around i think one of the most underrated jim carrey movies and just the way that it unfolds kind of to where when you're first watching it you feel a little bit lost and then you kind of learn the story as the characters do. I think it was just a great way to put the shit together. You know, I'm not going to say anything about this movie that hasn't been said already in the 20 years that it's been out. I'm sure there's a ton of beautiful soliloquies that soliloquies soliloquies that put it a lot better than I fucking can. But I really, you know, I just love this movie, you know, revisiting now all this time later, not only does it hold up, I think it's even better now. But one of the things I couldn't quit thinking about was who would have ever thought that you would have fucking Mary Jane Watson helping the Incredible Hulk and Frodo erase the Riddler's mind while Carmine Falcone was their boss? <laughs> it's just some funny shit that you could talk about all these years later now having seen what these actors went on to do because well, Jim Carrey had already been the Riddler. Uh, I believe uh, Kirsten Dunst had already been uh, Mary Jane Watson. Elijah Wood was, you know, going to be Frodo. Mark Ruffalo was going to be the Hulk. And Tom Wilkinson was going to be uh, Carmine Falcone in Batman Begins. So, you know, you had a uh, low-key superhero uh, meetup in this shit, I guess. A comic book movie meetup in this shit. It's kind of funny to think about. Somebody needs to make a meme of that. Remember the time that Mary Jane helped uh, the Hulk and Frodo erase the Riddler's mind all while being uh, led by their boss, Carmine Falcone? <laughs> that shit just makes me laugh i don't know if anybody else is nerdy as me but yeah eternal sunshine of the spotless mind guys if you've never seen it i mean it's like a i don't even know if you can call it a rom-com because it's so different but it's it's sci-fi it's comedy it's you know romance it's you know that mind fuck genre you get you know david cross in here as well completely forgot about that you know another hilarious performance you get jim carrey you know he does do some funny things you get some of the funny jim carrey uh body comedy and shit physical comedy throughout this movie but really it's just a great tale of i guess love more so than anything and you know people finding each other you know whatever you want to say but just the way that the story unfolds and you know the way that at the end the resolution is you know with you know the mind erasing and everything that goes on i don't want to fucking spoil it too much i guess i know it's 20 years old and i said that shit but it's just worth the watch man if you've never seen it but you know just to kind of sum it up i guess a little bit it's pretty much a, a plot about people you know when they break up or when they have something go on that they don't want to remember anymore they can have it erased from their memories and you know both jim carrey and you know a former girlfriend of his undergo this process but somehow they keep finding their way back to each other and you know just one of those fucking great tales of love conquering all but told in just a fucking so much different way you know it's rated r it's drama it's sci-fi it's it's funny it's heartfelt it's 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 everything man it's a 
one of the better, you know, movies that you'll probably watch in your lifetime, especially if you're into that shit, that kind of that mind fuck shit that you're going to wonder how they did it. And it's also one of those movies that's got great rewatchability because of that, because you pick up something new, a little key, a little hint every time you watch it. So for me, it's a nine out of 10 guys, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. One of Jim Carrey's best, in my opinion, and one of his most underrated, just because everybody, you know, is heavy on the comedy. I understand that when he's one of the greatest comedy actors ever, but just this movie in general is fucking phenomenal. So that's some of the shit that I watched this week, guys, and uh, it's pretty much all I got. But uh, having said that, I guess that wraps up uh, episode two, JC's Pop Culture Podcast. Like I said, guys, I was successful. Got this up on multiple platforms now, so, you know, check it out on Spotify. Subscribe there. Check it out on YouTube if you want to see the video side of it. But you can get it on Amazon Music now. You can get it on iHeartRadio now. And uh, more to come in the near future as well. And like I said, going to keep this shit coming weekly. I'll be talking movie news that's happened in the weeks leading up. And then uh, recapping what I've watched as well here on JC's Pop Culture Pod. Just gives us a little bit of a long-form thing where I can just talk about some different shit. In addition to uh, the updates that i'll be putting up on the jc's pop culture youtube channel uh which i'll be updating you know dcu movie news halloween news as it comes out i've been updating ea sports college football news and i've been doing some trailer reactions lately as well so check that out got one up for roadhouse just got one up for the ghostbusters frozen empire trailer got one for uh, monkey man and one for that uh zach efron and john cena comedy ricky stanicki so if you like trailer reactions come check those out on the youtube side of things but uh also got us up on social media now as well on twitter you can follow at jc sees pop culture and uh on facebook as well like the page there if you want to if you're on facebook twitter find jc's pop culture on both those it's a great way to follow because then you'll know when those updates come out and when these podcast episodes release in the future and shit but got a lot of fun new shit to talk about in this episode and i'm sure there'll be even more to talk about on episode three you know drop your thoughts on any of these in the comments if you're on the uh, video side or in the rate review section there if you're listening on the audio side or you know any news stories or any uh thing you watched that was interesting maybe suggest it in the comments and who knows maybe i'll touch on on episode three but talk to you guys again in a week We'll have uh, plenty more movie news to talk about by then, and uh, hopefully I'll watch some more shit in the meantime, in between time. Hope you guys have a great morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever the hell you're listening to this. And uh, until next time, I'm JC. Later, film fans. (laughs) 